0: Hi, and welcome to the London Property Alliance's Property Podcast Series, keeping CPA and WPA members informed and engaged. I'm James Manning, Transformation Manager in Sustainability and Innovation at Grosvenor, Britain and Ireland, and the co-chair of Grosvenor Estates' new internal global pride network, and I'll be your host for this session. Today, we're talking about pride in central London's built environment. The LGBTQ plus community is vastly underrepresented in central London's real estate sector. An EG survey of 300 queer identifying people in the sector showed that 81% of respondents felt that not enough was being done to promote the visibility of the LGBTQ plus community in real estate. According to a further EG survey, 58% of respondents listed a lack of visible role models in the industry as the main perpetuating barrier facing queer people in the sector. As an openly gay man myself, this lack of representation is something that I have seen in my own experience of working in the sector. As someone who also only recently joined the property industry, before entering the sector, I was definitely apprehensive, having not heard many positive stories about being gay and accepted. As it turns out, when I joined Grosvenor, I had a very positive reception. However, I have heard many stories where this isn't always the case in the industry, and I also recognise it is a reason why people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community Avoid entering the industry at all, which simply compounds the problem of underrepresentation. This is what motivated me to help set up Grosvenor Estate's own Pride Network, which we've launched this month as part of our Pride celebrations. I'm looking forward today to exploring in this podcast the role of networking groups, as well as the part that the built environment can play in supporting the LGBTQ community more broadly. I'm delighted to be joined by two wonderful guests. We've got with us today Kelly Canterford. Diversity and Inclusion Program Manager at Changing the Face of Property. Kelly also previously helped found JLL's own Pride Network, Building Pride. I'm also joined by Martin Smith, Commercial Offices Lead and Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Bureau 4. He is also co-chair of Building Equality in London. Welcome to the podcast, both of you, and Happy Pride Month.
1: Hi, Happy Pride.
0: Um, I wanted to kick off the session today by asking each of you to share a brief summary of your career to date. And your views on what it has been like as an LGBTQ plus professional in this industry. Kelly, do you want to kick off for us?
1: Um, so, I, I started in the real estate industry back in 2004. I joined a company called King Sturge, which was later brought out by JLL. When I joined King Sturge, I was an openly gay woman and had vowed to be out in the workplace. That's following uh, me being in the closet while I was in my previous job and uh, it was it I, it was detrimental to my health so when i joined real estate i decided to be out and equally i didn't appreciate what the industry was like i i just went in naively as as me which was fine and the people that i worked with were accepting this is and say this is going back 18 not 18 years gosh that's my maths uh, 16 years but there was still the banter and the attitudes uh which made it uncomfortable in places and still there were people who didn't want me to be out in front of clients Uh, and that that's that's how it was being an out LGBT person hasn't hurt my career and hasn't enabled my career it's just being part of me but what uh, what did happen was back in um was it 2000 2011 or 12 I came across Freehold and up until that point I thought I was the only LGBT person within the company that I was in and lo and behold we wasn't the story goes that uh, it started with a selfie and it did we took a selfie of us at the event freehold event at clutton's it was then put on the front of the weekly news for jll what followed was was quite remarkable guy granger who was the ceo at the time contacted us and said i want to support you i think it's imp- important that we're inclusive uh, and that was the start of the creation of building pride and i think combination of freehold and building pride have has created an environment where people are able to be more themselves.
0: No that, that that's really great and thanks for sharing that. Martin did you want to give a a bit of a summary of your sort of career experience particularly as a queer person?
2: Yeah, so I thought I'd dive into the archives of my brain and think about where I come from. So being an openly gay person and I think one of the first in my comprehensive school Was difficult from years of bullying and the experience for being gay when I didn't even know what the word meant originally. It led me to be driven to leave my rural upbringing uh, in a village um, to go to university, which I was one of the first in my family to go. I would say university was good, but it was a bit of a cultural shock from going from the rural to London and graduated into the last recession. Here um, with a building surveying degree, I knew that there was no opportunity for me to get a job, and we knew that halfway through the uh, the course. So within eighteen months, I'd had ed- I'd had five jobs in three counties in the UK, working for contractors, tendering, estimating, and um, hospitality work as well. Of that, I found that homophobia was rampant within the construction industry, specifically contractor level with the questions that were asked of me. I wasn't openly out, but the questions were were driven in a negative connotation towards my sexuality. Yeah, so it took until getting um, my first graduate job on Cannon Street to undertake a- APC training, um, which eventually got chartered in. Um, now, was I out in the first year I was in work? No. Um, is that... Endemic within the UK, yes. We know that 80% of graduates stay in the closet um, when they first enter the workplace who were previously out at university. And that's on every industry, including real estate. Um, And then eventually, within five five or so years, I left to join Bureau 4, who I work with now, which is more uh, project management-focused. But to get chartered, I used the Freehold Group um, as a mentoring programme to get APC training for mock interviews, which was were invaluable to me working in a smaller firm. Um, and, and that's my experience of entering the industry. No, no, that that's really helpful. And it sounds from both of you as though you've both
0: potentially had uh, or seen uh, an improvement, uh, at least in your personal experiences in being part of the community and being a part of the industry as well. W- would you say that's true? And if so, sort of, were there any particular examples that you can share around how you've seen things improving obviously there's still a long way to go um but as someone who's new to the industry i've obviously only got a certain point in time to reference but it sounds like you guys have have definitely seen a change um martin it sounds like it's been a big one particularly in construction
2: well personally i would say construction is 10 years behind real estate um if not 15 years um gosh Real estate is more advanced. I mean, we're talking about pride networks and organizations that didn't have them before. Um, and we know um, progress has been made with groups such as Freehold, uh, planning out, uh, etc., on, on their work in, in more visible role models, which is really, really good. Um, but in terms of perception of the industry, which I think we're really going to struggle to change, and we are struggling to change is we know with the skills research, building skills research, WPA uh, uh, and Bureau 4 help support that we need to grasp other industries' knowledge and sectors, whether it's tech, uh, etc., into our industry for us to develop, you know, with BMS systems and smart buildings and the like. And we're going to really struggle to get those people to join our industry because of our, our reputation, if you will. And that reputation dare i say it is still that white pale male and stale and it has got work it has not had not got worse it has got better but you still see um diversity uh, generally at mid-level um mid, mid-level management you never it's very rare you see it in senior or even client-side organizations um specifically large institutional um developers and clients you know there's there's still that 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 power hold of, of patriarchy that still exists and it's quite evident you do see that if you look at um the events we hold at, uh, Brit- uh, British Council for offices events in in five-star hotels with black ties and you look at the video footage of people that are attending and it's if you were looking externally at that you, you would, not, you would not feel that we are an inclusive environment in which to work. And I don't know how we change that. I'm not coming up with solutions. I'm just saying what I've experienced and, and specifically on the social economic background front, you know, if we start addressing that and class, then I think a lot of other things will follow. And um, at the moment, I, I think that's the one topic people aren't talking about. And in terms of research that came out two weeks ago with um, companies were surveyed and said, are you gonna maintain your apprenticeship programs? And many of them were cutting them. I think that's a real mistake because unfortunately university filters a lot of diversity out. and you need to get them at school age to sort of enter the industry.
0: Uh, Kelly, did you want to just pick up on the sort of the change you've seen in the industry at all?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think that across the the different sect, parts of the sector there are as martin points out very different levels of awareness and changing uh, changes i think there is there's a good intention from many people it, it's, it's interesting that that point about the the number of apprentices that that are going to be um they're they're, they're not going to be able to, to continue with their their training um, that and that covers a lot of areas and and There's questions. I have questions around apprenticeships and the support that apprentices are given. Because if you look at that, why are people getting the training, but why aren't they staying in in the profession, even without the current situation? And that I think comes down to culture, um, which is a responsibility of each business individually. We can sit here as freeholders, planning out, building equality, any of these organisations, but ultimately. What's going to create that change is, is what businesses do internally, and I think it, it's it's a really interesting point that Martin makes about the the perception of the industry and, and what it looks like when you go to events, and it, it's changing ever so slowly, and it, it it's getting that lifeline up to the top, and I think that it, it's there's a whole piece across the diversity strands here because. You, have, you do have a lack of ethnic minorities, people within a senior position. You have a lack of women in a senior position. And you have a lack of senior LGBT people. Now, there, there's many things around that. And you can look back at where we were 10 years ago. And those people leaving the industry in droves. And that's what's created the problem. So to, to write it isn't going to be a, a very immediate impact. We're, we're going to be going through a long, long process. We're behind. There's a really good intention from people, and it's us working together and holding accountability that will create change. So, yeah, it's it's a work in progress.
0: No, I agree, and I I think one of my concerns, anyway, um, is associated with COVID nineteen. That I think some progress has been made, um, but as we've seen a lot in the news, younger people are being disproportionately affected by the current pandemic. In terms of job security, and actually, how are we going to continue to progress things when you aren't getting that new blood coming through? Obviously, there's that perception challenge already that we're trying to overcome. But I think I worry that we're going to maybe have a step back as a result of COVID nineteen because because younger people coming through who are LGBT, who are a part of an ethnic minority, or even women coming through, it's going to be harder when the top echelons of of real estate we're not seeing that representation at the moment and not leave those individuals and maybe not as, as badly affected by this current situation. I don't know if either of you had any thoughts around sort of the COVID-19 pandemic and and, and how that might be impacting the industry and, and that level of diversity and inclusion.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting what you say about um, the impact that COVID has. Uh, and it does remind me both of looking back at 2008, with the, the crash then, and the number of people that lost their positions. And when you then subsequently look at who is still in the workplace and that's clearly reflected now in senior people and you can probably go back to a great number of companies and look at the people that were cut and they would have been women because at the time people thought well you can't you can't if if this guy's got a family to support well we, we can't keep get put him out of the job um but the the woman chances are that she'll have somebody that can support her and as as strange as that sounds that that was still an attitude in some places 12 years ago at the moment covid's creating a really interesting space for people and it flipping it around a little bit it's giving people challenges around inclusion because at the moment if you're lgbt in the workplace you can go home to your safe space and you can leave your leave whatever's going on at work at the door and I think what what this has highlighted is that people have you're, you're taking and looking into people's homes and so, some people are saying you're, you're getting to know more about your colleagues than you ever would in the workplace because you have everything behind them so you may have uh, an interracial relationship you may see that uh, single sex relationship there are you may see people's caring responsibilities all of these things, which for some people, they keep very much hidden from work. Um, and I appreciate that's not the the question that you you asked, but I think it then widens up something that this has, has raised an awareness that we weren't even, it wasn't on the radar at, at the beginning of March.
0: I think that's a really valid point. I mean, it's, it's interesting, uh, an example from my own experience, we were planning to launch our new network at Grosvenor, the Pride Network, in April. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, lockdown happened and we ended up postponing. And I was on a call with our CEO, James Rayner, and he asking after the network, like, when are we launching? We're excited about it. And I said, oh, unfortunately, we've had lockdown. And so we sort of ended up postponing. We're not sure when we're going to launch. And he made a very valid point, which I think feeds into that, Kelly, that actually now more than ever, people need to feel inclusion, belonging. Um, and see some of that diversity within their workplaces and that's why we've ended up launching it um, now Uh, even though we're in lockdown we can't hold a physical event I think he made a very valid point that we need this more than ever and actually having a stronger focus on it now is really really important. Um, Martin did you have anything you wanted to add on that sort of the impact of COVID-19 not least um, when you mentioned you joined, joined the workforce during the 2008 financial crisis and may well have seen some of the impacts of that did you have anything you wanted to say on that topic?
2: Yeah, just generally. Um, you actually, what you were saying about earlier about uh, how you you felt you couldn't launch because of the physical meetings. I mean, the good work that myself and Building Equality have done in doing CV workshops, getting people in a good position for twenty twenty online um and and also with giving them lgbt plus toolbox talks training so they can deliver that to their businesses and on site um together with um lunch and learn events with people's experiences and focusing role models there's actually the reason we did that and um, the re- i think we've done like eight events bingo and the like is because obviously people need that safe space and they need that safe space online albeit we know that About forty. I mean, there was a survey by Stonewall in 2017 that 45% of uh, LGBT plus people have experienced homophobia online in the last 12 months. Um, And going back to, and I'm not going on the negative, I remember marching with Pride for the first time with Kelly on the first march with Freehold and the RICS. And it was kind of that historic moment. And I thought, well, I'll reactivate my Twitter, which hadn't been activated in 2009. And this was 2013, 14, Kelly. I mean, dates are going around now. And I remember live broadcasting the march and like the words faggot and stuff coming up like on the screen because people could comment live. And I think we need to think, think about, especially now more than ever, the online spaces as well, because that is something that's, That is some people's only outlet at the moment and the effect of COVID might magnify some of that online bullying and hate and we know that that's increased, certainly externally from the start of my career, that's only increased online and the polarisation of society in the last six years in the UK with more right-wing views and stuff like that, that has made LGBT plus people, they might feel actually safer at work than they do on the streets And I think that has to be highlighted, especially in real estate, because we are making physical changes to the public realm and, um, you know, security and safety and things like that and LGBT plus spaces, which we'll come on to later.
1: It's interesting you say that because um, I think there is a real key point here for allies. This is the point when allies can really make a difference um, because those little comments that are made online on a Zoom call or a Teams call or whatever resource people are using, that that flip and remark is still an opportunity to call out that behaviour and to call out that language. You stand up for it and it has so much more power than me going, oh God, can you stop that? And then somebody looking and going, oh God, I'm innocent lesbian again. Um, and and here's another angry lesbian it's, like, it's no i'm not i just i don't appreciate being called those names and to be quite honest what you're doing is offensive
2: and, and younger yeah. people kelly actually do have those values they do care about inclusivity you know that loads of surveys out there about younger people and what they feel about you know gay rights or inequality generally and we know with me too black lives matter and all the rest of it young people are engaged and as a as an industry, if we don't reflect, if, if we don't reflect society in the built environment, we are going to be designing things that are wrong. We are not going to benefit from um, the consumer power of those individuals because we're not going to reflect those individuals. And they'll they'll magnetize towards industries that do offer those um, attributes.
1: Clearly, you look at the Workplace Equality Index, which many people are using uh, as a barometer of somebody, uh, a business being LGBT inclusive. And absolutely, it leads to policy change, it leads to culture change, it leads to a, a level of accountability within a business. And there's a great kudos for hitting that top 100. There are two real estate companies in the top 100. I think there's 12 law firms in there. Now, as an LGBT person looking at that, do you think, all oh, I want to go into real estate because there's two companies, or do I want to go into law because there's 12 companies? And it does give you that insight that actually, yes, getting into the top 100 is difficult, but if you're going to be measured by it and have that as an industry, then we need to do better and we need to work together to create that change.
0: I agree, and I think that definitely comes back to that perception point. Um, my background is in management consulting, personally, um, which is not probably quite as good as law but definitely is is miles ahead of where the property industry is and trying to move into the property industry knowing that that's what i wanted to do was definitely a real challenge knowing that it wasn't as inclusive it wasn't as diverse um, as where i'd come from um, but i think martin's point earlier around what lessons can we learn from some of those other industries i think is really valid um looking at how they set up their networks what are they talking about what research they're doing how are they communicating it, how are they recruiting and retaining that talent? Um, because I think that's the only way that we're gonna we're gonna improve. Um
2: yeah. I would just say some really positive uh, I, I always look at the negative, I'm a bit positive now. I remember going to a Deloitte Pride event, I think it was at the start of my career. So I was first in the, fresh fresh into London uh starting my career. And I recently, I think just before lockdown had a tour of Deloitte's new headquarters and we were walking through the Floor play, and that's management consultancy, isn't it? So the amount of diversity I saw was overwhelming. I was like amazed about the difference that I'd seen nine and a half years prior to that, and where they are now. So we have to learn from other industries of what they're doing, um, and and also seeing the potential that that's having with um, with their teams. And specifically, my background's project management, so those teams that are more inclusive. Um, generally, design better buildings, and I've seen that firsthand in my career. Those that are all on the same page and don't really and and really are more like like they're not they're not bringing any any diversity of thoughts or or any of their experience life experience to that project. Whether that's ten percent of Londoners of cognitive issues with wayfinding um, or or the fact that 42% of Londoners are non white, you know, but you've got a design team that's, you know, 96% white, which is what the built environment is on the last survey. So you need, I just really want to stress that bringing people to the table is only going to make a better result. And that result is going to have an economic benefit to you because those projects or developments, whether that's what's in the building, and we know this with COVID, if you look at the shops that have been open post with COVID and shutdowns, those chains and city, like Westminster central location, were just closed. There was no offering for the local community, um, which is obviously limited because you've got people from Greater London using that as a shopping and, and hospitality destination. Um, but if you look to you know, East London, or around more regional, um, greater London, you see the local pizzeria opening up and to um, produce bread, so people can buy bread or buy ingredients to do shopping. That has not happened in those central locations and same with LGBT plus venues. I know our local LGBT plus friendly um, bar has done a roaring trade in E20, but they've been supported by the owner of um, Get London Living and they were supported with um, rent freezes or or no rent for three months or so, um, which has meant that they all opened up and they all supported the local people that live there by selling and and, and selling products and, and just giving that place life. And I think if, if all developments and, and, uh, and buildings were to reflect the society they're building in and open up and therefore you'd have a building or a location that were, people would still magnetise towards because they'd feel included within it and the decimation of LGBT plus safe spaces in London has really damaged um, the soul of it and specifically Westminster. Um, and there's a lot of good work planning out have done on um, uh, on placemaking and research on those those um, venues that have been lost. And we know that um, BAME LGBT people who are more disproportionately affected um, through prejudice are twice more likely to attend a safe space than white LGBT people. So if we're not factoring that into placemaking and and reform re. We need to re-evaluate use classes. They're not fit for purpose in the in in the UK anymore because of the flexibility people need to survive in this market. But if we prioritised um, those with a community um, benefit in a Section 106 from planning or whatever, we'd have a mo- lot more diversity for every attribute of society in our in our in our streets, and therefore they would they would they would prosper
0: yeah I think that's I think that's a really valid point, um particularly around those sort of safe spaces um and I, it sounds to me and we do see that um, as Grosvenor being based in central London that there are significant challenges more so than than further out in the city um around those spaces um, disappearing or, or being taken over for other uses, and as you say it, it reduces that availability for the people that that need it most sometimes. Um, I just want to take a step back for a second and just ask a question, um, purely selfish from my perspective, having only just set up a network at Grosvenor, but I know that both of you have clearly been heavily involved in the networks um, that you've both either set up or, or or sat on the committee for. There are obviously lots of different initiatives and groups um, for LGBTQ plus professionals uh, across the industry, so changing the face of property, freehold, planning out building equality. Um, Do you think that these networks are doing enough to improve inclusivity and how can internal networks within organisations work with these um, external larger um, networks of of, of individuals to really drive change and make a difference? Um, Kelly, I don't know if you want to kick off with that one.
1: Yeah, sure, I, I think um, we've touched on a few things uh, during the conversation. I think building equality have got some incredible tools there with the uh, the toolbox talk they have within there. They've got slides for the anti-bullying, they've got language awareness. Um, so I think that as as networks, how we're helping to improve inclusive inclusivity is is to try and get into organisations and be part of that educational process. Uh, and so we've worked with them to start the networks and smaller businesses. It's offering the opportunity for somebody to have a contact, um whether it be through mentoring, as, as Martin was able to benefit from with Freehold and uh, having sort of the ally training. But I, th- I think how the the organisations can work is is hand in hand with, with offering advice, and they need to be approachable, which I think. By all accounts, most most of them are. I, well, I say most, they all are, because that, that's what we're here for. We many of the networks have got people involved with them who have experienced negative negativity through their their journey in the, the real estate industry. So that enable that's given them the, the skills and the the tools to to come at it from different views so they give it it's given them a certain level of empathy. I think there's only so much that these organizations can do so as a network you can offer panel events you can offer expert speakers to come in but it ultimately comes down to the responsibility of the business to change that culture. I think that there's a really interesting point as well that you're saying that you came from management consultancy. I think there's a there's a huge part that the regulatory bodies can play here and there is no accountability within real estate from any of the uh, professional regulatory bodies. I also think there's a great number of charters that businesses have signed, uh, and it has created change. I look at the change in the face of property companies, uh, and they are becoming more inclusive. They have DNI professionals looking after the people. They have people within their HR teams that are responsible for looking after the culture and ensuring that there's an inclusive environment for people. So what we've seen is a real shift from, oh, it's just a nice to have, to to actually recognising that this is a need to have. Uh, And there's a change. Instead of asking why, we need to ask why not. So why shouldn't we have this? Why shouldn't we put a platform where you are treated the same? It's not that you're denying somebody an opportunity by, by opening this up. You're just asking people to be treated fairly. So I think that the um, the networks themselves, how do they help create and, and improve inclusivity within in the businesses? Having the role models for people to look up to, and having that point of contact to create a conversation. And and I think that that's a, there's a huge part to say in this of saying can can we just normalize a conversation? If you've got uh, one of your managers has uh, a sibling who's in a same sex relationship, let's talk about it. Because that then just means that people know that that's okay.
0: Yeah, I think there's a really important point there around visibility, you know, and just about people sharing their stories and just being there to to, to speak to. Um, I mean, one of the core reasons for us kicking off our network at Grosvenor was we were contacted by one of our smaller offices um, over in the US by um, one of our colleagues there who is part of the community. And he said he saw the Pride events that the, the UK office were holding and he was sad that he wasn't able to do that in the US, that he felt quite isolated because of the small, how small his community was. And even just seeing what we were doing in the UK was really important um, to him. And so that's why, that's one of the reasons we kicked off the network, was he saw that and wanted to share that more broadly across other smaller businesses that are part of the Grosvenor group, um, the Grosvenor estate. It's,
1: in, um, it's incredible if you think about what, what's happening at the moment. So we're going in see pride has been cancelled and we're going into we're part of pride season but we've got pride in property so not only have we got those 12 businesses from changing the face property collaborating to create some incredible events like the there's trans inclusion training or instruction to transgender there's how to be an ally we've got events around um the first pride but also we've got the ceos of some of these businesses that are going to be there and they are happy to talk about what they are doing as part of their inclusion strategy and how they are an inclusive environment, uh, they're, they're an inclusive business. If you'd have said to me 10 years ago that you would have that, I'd have laughed in your face. But there's a, there is a shift and people recognise that to get the best talent, it's about being inclusive. And it's not being, it's not because you just want to in, invite LGBT talent in, People are looking at it in a much more holistic sense. Are you inclusive? Yes, I want to be part of your team because you. this will reflect me. And if it doesn't reflect me, if it stays in that very insular view that, of, of the industry that has been there and has worked up until now, it, it's, it's functioned, but it's changing. And I think that's where business needs to adapt. And, and that's how successful business grows by adapting and that's what they need to do
0: no i agree and i think speaking about the different sorts of diversity i think there's a lot that different networks can learn from each other whether that's bame or lgbtq or women's networks and actually working together it, it's it's an it's a goal that everyone is working towards and we shouldn't be doing it in isolation i think Martin did you have anything you wanted to add around sort of the role of networks in, in in making some of that change?
2: Yeah, so the the change is generally soft power in terms of influence and giving them the tools to know what to do and 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 like Kelly says giving giving you not also, not so much the authority but giving you the confidence to know and have those conversations. I mean there's there's side conversations that happen between the groups so we know what each other are doing and if we can collaborate together we do. Um, and likewise with businesses as well. Um, if, 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 if we know, like Arab for example, we know that they've got an inclusivity toolkit for report writing. So it removes some of the gendered language that we have in real estate and construction, like man hours, for example, on site. Um, and it, it's rolled out across the business and people know that's the way you write a report. Now, that's really good work. Okay, thanks, Arab. Can you share that with the group? Because we want to be able to implement that in our own businesses. And it's learning from each other that's driving change um, and giving people the support. And I think that is that is what it's all about. And intersectionality is so important. You know, originally when I started this, it was all about LGBT+, plus LGBT+. And then the more you dig and the more you learn, you realise you have to discuss everything together at the same time to, to move anything forward.
0: No, I think that's a very very fair point. Uh, Kelly, do you want to add anything to that?
1: Yeah, it's just interesting. I think that, that point of sharing information, you don't know what you don't know. And that's where the whole everybody working together really moves things on much quicker.
0: No, for sure. For sure. And as you say, it's not just within the industry, but as in wider as well. What can we learn elsewhere? Um, so, I, I just wanted to wrap up the podcast there today, and I think we've had a really fantastic discussion and conversation with some really interesting points and topics raised around Prime, the built environment, uh, the importance of networks, the importance of diversity and inclusion in and of itself, and maybe some of the lessons we can learn from other sectors. Um, I just wanted to finish off by giving Kelly and Martin the opportunity to make any final comments that we may not have covered already in the podcast today um kelly did you have any
1: final thoughts you wanted to share i think as an industry we've come a very long way and it's far more inclusive if you look at the various lists that come out about people um the outstanding awards and, and lgbt awards a uh, british lgbt awards and and there's representation on there from the real estate industry we're getting there but there's a lot to do and i think working collaboratively with the different businesses, the different networks, we are getting there slowly. Uh, and that's where we, we perhaps would need more work to just increase the uh, velocity at which we're going.
2: Thanks for that. Marta, any final final thoughts? My final thoughts would be that any business listening or company, think about what you're building, think about what you're investing in, think about your social responsibility that People are now having to declare their carbon footprint on the stock exchange, etc., which is having a real change for zero carbon. But think about your your asset. Think about how diverse is it. Does it respond to the community? Does it is it something that people will respect and have integrity to? Um, are you doing a pride event once a month, once a year, and that's it? Because people and, and graduates and and even apprentices they will see through that. They want to be able to see those people when they come into your organisation for an interview. They want to they want to feel like if they can't see themselves in 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 somebody in that role, then they 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 truly believe they can't be that and that and you need people to be visible. Yeah. No, I think it's a really good point. And just
0: touching on COVID, I think we talked about it earlier. It's really important that companies are cognizant of, of the impact on that on all their employees that particularly those that may be more vulnerable as a result of, of, of how they identify. Um, I do think though one of the positives that we can take is COVID has clearly demonstrated companies can change and they can change very quickly and very rapidly when they want to. So I, I, it heartens me that hopefully we can continue to accelerate um, diversity inclusion whatever that might be across all those organisations.
1: Yeah it's true I think um one of the benefits of creating uh, an environment where you can be truly inclusive and, and your authentic self which a lot of people talk about when they talk about dni is that it hugely improves people's well-being um, lgbt people are disproportionately affected by mental health issues and, and it's exhausting trying to hide your identity and and your personal life in the workplace so i think that by by creating environments where we are more inclusive uh, and people are allowed to be themselves without consideration, without editing themselves, will ultimately create a healthier and more productive workforce.
0: Great, well thank you both for those closing remarks um, and thank you as well for your time today and your insights. Um, It's been a really great conversation um, on such an important topic. Um, I also just wanted to say that this is not the only London Property Alliance podcast that has been run as part of the Diversity and Inclusion virtual programme. They have also had one on BAME in the built environment, as well as one with real estate balance. Please do take the time to listen to these. I hope you enjoyed this conversation on Pride in the built environment. Thank you for listening.